Hello and welcome back to another episode of my series, The Mad Moon Podcast with me, Katie Moon. So I speak to other nurses and healthcare professionals about mental wellbeing and all things to boot. Today's guest is the lovely Sophie. She is a student osteopath, very, very close to qualifying and being released into the world. We talk about lots of weird and wonderful things. Um, So yeah, I'll just let you listen. Remember, there may be some potentially triggering topics and colourful language. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for joining me on the Mad Moon podcast. Hello. (laughs) By the way, listeners, me and Sophie have just had a chat for about 20 minutes because I was late and overslept. And I know, and it's, I did sleep in late as well. It's 10 o'clock. I was meant to be on, and it's now 25 past. So, yeah. Not. It happens to the best of us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for not chastising me. I love that word. Um, so, yeah. So, we do know each other. So, the last about 20 recordings I've done, I haven't known the people that have come on, but do. Do you have a memory of us or when we met or anything that you want to share? You can say no. <laughs> I do. I think, yeah. No, obviously we met through our mutual friend, Vicky, who you had on your first podcast. Um, so I went to school with Vicky. So and then we met through her Hindu, which was a lovely <laughs> weekend in the Peak District. <laughs> Lots of drinks. I think, yeah. The f- I wouldn't say it was the first memory because obviously I remember meeting you there but there's definitely fond memories from that weekend I don't know if all of them can be discussed <laughs> but um uh-huh. yeah that's how that's how we met in person so I guess we were chatting before that on kind of group whatsapps and things like that yeah no that's yeah I don't, I don't even remember the wedding but I definitely remember the hendo and meeting you at the hendo which was very yeah. fun well, I organised it, so I'm going to say that, aren't I? <laughs> it was very fun. But yeah, the pool party, I think the fondest memory is from the silent disco, but I don't know if you want me to repeat the memory I have or not. And you oh, could dear. share it if you want to. It just sounds um, weird though, doesn't it? I, I have a feeling I know where <laughs> this is going. Um, so I'll say my memory first and see if it's what you're going to say. Okay. So I think we we all had the silent disco on. There was about thirty of us, wasn't there? And yeah. it was was it Venger Boys? Yeah. So I know the song was specific and it made us kind of form a bit of a conga line. And before we into knew the it, garden, yeah, I was going to say before we knew it, we, for some reason we were all outside and we were at this huge like. Manor, like beautiful manor house in like you say the peak district and surrounded by fields and I thought it was a good idea <laughs> to join the sheep <laughs> with the wool rug from inside <laughs> you were at one with the sheep in the field it was brilliant <laughs> and now I'm in a field next to sheep as well so maybe it was just meant to be maybe my, maybe. my spirit animal is a sheep that's it that's where it all began (laughs) (laughs) oh god so away from anything else that could be what's the word when something can get you arrested what's the word what's that word called illegal (laughs) (laughs) no do you know like something that could not compromise me oh I hate when Um, language leaves my brain like my vocabulary just disappears. I know what I mean. Anyway, I know the word you mean as well, but I can't. We will leave you antics <laughs> to another time. We will. So, do you moving want, on? Moving on. <laughs> do you mind telling the listeners what what you do for a living and why and how and just tell us everything? Yeah. Um. So I'm on this podcast, I guess, because it's for healthcare professionals. Um. So I am currently in my fifth and final, terrifying, um, year of becoming an osteopath. Um, so I've got about three months left before I'm let loose in the world and can practice in the real world. Um, but yes, yeah, so I do that part of time. Oh, I get asked this all the time. and yeah, not like, <laughs> I genuinely couldn't. I just said I was thinking it's something to do with bones. well yeah osteo means bones so an osteopath I kind of 
because people tend to know more like what physiotherapy is and what chiropractors are and I kind of say that it's a little bit in between those um so we it's a manual therapy it's classed as alternative but I wouldn't really or uh, not alternative what's it um I can't think of that word this happened to me now (laughs) are you like Chinese medicine (laughs) but it's the same word people call that not alternative medicine um complimentary Oh yeah, no, I wasn't. Maybe, but no, that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's class as alternative, but it's a complementary manual therapy. Um, so yeah, we we do a little bit of what chiropractors do, I guess. We do click bones and, or people say put you back into place, but that's not a real thing. Um, and then yeah, we treat kind of injuries from um, sports injuries or um just kind of old age injuries or um but we can also do things like headaches and then there's a whole other side of like cranial osteopathy which we haven't really touched on in our course so I won't go into that and act like I'm a professional in there. Um, yeah it's it's really interesting and it's pretty much like doing a medical degree which I think when I started I didn't really anticipate would be so medical so it's obviously five years part-time um, I chose the part-time pathway because I wanted to work at the same time um, and earn money because this is my second degree so I'd have to I have to pay for it myself um All right, show which is... <laughs> I've got a biscuit in my mouth everyone no. <laughs> what's your first degree uh, in uh forensic science so I guess a little bit sciencey, um, and I kind of went into I guess the whole story is I went I did forensic science before, um, and then went into a um, a job straight out of uni, uh, working with opioid addiction treatment, um, and then I think I decided I didn't really want to be in kind of big pharma um, forever. So, and then a few life things happened. I left that job, went traveling with my friends, came back and then was like, right, now what? <laughs> um, so yeah, I had to make a decision and my auntie um, and my mum had both been to see osteopaths. I didn't really know what it was when I stopped, like before I started looking into the mm-hmm. course. Um, but yeah, my auntie absolutely swears by it. And my mum and my nan all used to be nurses. <clears throat> so they, they were like, oh, you'd be really helpful. You'd be really good at this. And I couldn't go ever go down the nurse or doctor route because I'm really bad with blood. <laughs> yeah, just, I like watching like 24 hours and A&E on the telly and stuff. But if I had to go to an actual hospital myself, I, re- I get proper white coat syndrome and go all like fainty and horrible. <laughs> so <laughs> I could never go down that route. So um, I was like, well, what, what else can you do to help people and treat people? So this was kind of, another route that I looked into um and yeah you could have done it full-time for four years or part-time for five years so I was like well I'll earn money at the same time yeah so yeah so I work full-time during the week in a completely different really <laughs> different job go on what um, do you do because I don't know during the week I work for an agricultural feed business so I basically how do you explain it I'm a formulator so I basically create the recipes that we make to feed like pigs and chickens. <laughs> um, How did so, that even happen? <laughs> I don't know. Well, my mum worked for the company and she, um, like one of the sister companies, which was to do with enzymes or something. And I got a, a temporary job with that. And then the, a full-time job came up in, in the main business. Um, and it was a little bit of science related. And I was like, well, I've got a sciencey background. I'll just go for it and see, see what happens. And then got it and here I am five years later mm. making the animal <laughs> so yeah animal feed by week osteopath by Weekend. Fridays okay. Saturdays <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so oh. it's uh quite full-on yeah so <laughs> I haven't got no I was going to try and be serious then and and go straight on to something serious but I've got to bring you back to something you said earlier so when you're on about you got a job straight from school it sounded like 
because I don't know if you know that I'm deaf in one ear so sometimes I completely mishear things it sounded like you said I didn't want to be a big farm girl forever <laughs> and I still normally as the conversation goes on I'd cotton on like oh no, she said this and then I put it together in my own head but all this time you've been speaking I've still just been sat here like what did she mean she didn't want to be a big farm girl forever <laughs> so I said farmer as in like pharmaceutical <laughs> That sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? You don't want to be a big farm girl, and then now I go and make animal food. <laughs> That's why I was a bit like, this is really weird. What did you mean to do? be a big farm girl forever? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, yeah, that it was it was opioid addiction treatment, and it was it was interesting to do, but it was quite repetitive in what I was doing because I was doing a lot more of the lab work and the um, the analysis on that. It wasn't necessarily the side of actually like working with the people that were getting it and helping them, which I would would have probably preferred to do. But um, yeah, you don't really turn down a job straight after uni, do you? <laughs> so yeah, I went straight into that and then... Um, a really cool job. Yeah. yeah, it was quite good. We had to like do all the shelf life testing on them and everything and get in like big hazmat suits when you were working with controlled substances in case you like got any of it on you. <laughs> And if you did get any out on you, then you have to be like monitored for like two hours after in case you like had a trip or something. You just sit in a see-through box and someone would just watch you. Watch you get high. (laughs) No, yeah, it was just, I mean, you could just carry on doing whatever you were doing, but um, yeah, you had to be monitored, which was really annoying. I think it never actually happened to me, but um, I think it happened to somebody and it was like five to five or something. And then they had to stay there till like seven because they had to be <laughs> What an arsehole. Yeah. Five, so, um... <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> no, Maybe do it was a Friday and they wanted a fun weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So I always do this, sorry, like I'll bring you back to stuff. So you mentioned mm-hmm. now that you went travelling. Yeah. Um, and I want to know all about that. <laughs> um yeah so I think at the time I had broken up with um my boyfriend which was like a long seven-year relationship um and two of my friends from the same workplace were going traveling um and they'd like jokingly invited me before and then obviously when when I broke up I was then like you know what and I kind of was like can I can I come with you and they were like oh my god yes um so we went traveling it was only like two months um we went to the typical 20 year old traveling place of we went to thailand and vietnam (laughs) sorry were you only 20 i was how old was i then no i was like 23 back then um yeah so we went to thailand um spent quite a lot well we spent like a few days there and then we went straight over and did Vietnam first which everybody raves about Thailand but I think if I would advise anybody it would be to go to Vietnam because I much preferred that it's much less touristy um it's, it's just beautiful but um and we loved it so much that we ended up staying there like a week extra I think in Vietnam when we were supposed oh. to go to Cambodia yeah. but we stayed in Vietnam we were like no we're gonna stay here we cut out Cambodia and then went straight to the south of Thailand to like the small islands and just relaxed on the beach at the end which was lovely <laughs> oh. yeah that was good um and then yeah I came home and then you're like oh back to the real world gotta get a job <laughs> Did you not get the book to go again or to go or to do it again? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all the time I'm like, oh, I really want to go travelling again. My brother was quite um, keen on travelling. Him and his partner went twice. So they did India for like six months. Excuse me. And they did um, South America as well for like six to nine months. And I was always really jealous of that and wanted to go, but I guess it's the money, it's the mm. right time or not right time in job, life, anything like that. But 
we'll see how it goes going forward <laughs> me and sam did the same we went traveling for about 10 weeks and we did thailand and my biggest regret is not doing vietnam and cambodia while we were there well say mm. while we were there it is literally like next door isn't it i think yeah <laughs> my geography is awful so i have i have to think before i say anything i thought london was up north to me but it's not it's down south <laughs> but yeah oh, it's like the best thing in the world and it's nice like because even though obviously you've got a job and you're in education like you say timing wise how lovely is it to say that you've done that mm. and to have had that experience yeah i guess well going into osteopathy it means that i can well I'll be self-employed um so i guess if you wanted to take that time out because I think my brother and his girlfriend did it because they were able to get sabbaticals from work mm. so they were quite lucky in that they could get those and still come back to a job but I don't know how many companies or businesses will would do that so um yeah we'll see when it when it future comes but it's it's uh yeah it's difficult to fit the time in isn't it and then you always feel like you've got so much to do and then you're like oh I really want to go traveling and then it just becomes this kind of future in air quotes thing that you'll do but <laughs> you probably won't get around to it yeah oh god yeah. so now on to your life a bit more so you work full-time monday to friday and then monday to thursday monday to thursday so are you doing yeah. like 40 hours like 37 and a half like full-time hours um well I'm, it's half eight till five I tend to work a little bit extra because the workload's quite a lot um and yeah then every every Friday I travel down to London and work in the clinic in London treating patients and then every Saturday sorry every other Saturday I've got uni lectures so they split between being online or being in London so Lots of travelling. <laughs> so you're busy then? <laughs> yeah. I get a Sunday. <laughs> oh, God. It's such a big commitment, isn't it? Like, Yeah. I think the first three years, because the first three years, you don't have a clinic day. You're just doing every other weekend um, full-on lectures. So it's nine till six, Saturday and Sunday. Um. And they're quite long lectures, quite in-depth. So the first three years is all about your anatomy, physiology, embryology, it's neurology. It's like everything, which is, I think, what I didn't really anticipate going into it, that you do have to know all the everything. <laughs> Every singleology. Everyology. Um, and then between the third and the fourth year, you go and do a two-week clinic block in our uni clinic um, which is open to the public it's obviously they know it's a student clinic so it's reduced rates um and then yeah so you do a two-week clinic block which is although you've had a couple of days observing in, in the clinic before this is your first time where so in the first week you're kind of paired up with a buddy from a year above or two years above um and you observe them and then the next the second week you are the lead practitioner so you're kind of thrown in it's a bit fast obviously there's a lot of support in terms of the tutors and things like that but it is terrifying <laughs> <laughs> at the same time so there's a lot of stress built around that oh my god um sophie sorry i see a van pulling onto my drive i'm, <laughs> gone out. I'm just gonna leg it down okay sorry i'm just gonna put it yeah that's fine so sophie how does it work if so you've been at uni for three years and then it's your first week in a clinic you buddied up with somebody and then bam your lead like what does that entail being lead like the lead is it just the lead for that yeah. week it's the lead for that week um in the summer block so yeah you I mean they I say lead we tend to get when it is your first week we'll probably only have like maybe two or three new patients um so we have what we call NPs and so new patients and we have OPs for ongoing patients um which are obviously people that have been in previously um so it's the the new P that are the terrifying ones I guess because 
you get longer time with them, but you have to take their full kind of case history, um, all their systemic health stuff. Um, and then you have to do all the examinations on them. You have to, so the way our appointments work, you, the patient comes in, you do kind of about 40 minutes of a chat with them. So taking their history, finding out what's going on, um, why they've come in, their systemic health. Um, and then kind of get to know them as like a person. So you ask about like their hobbies and stuff like that as well, just so that you can kind of, you know, what sort of like activity levels they're at and things like that. Um, and then you take like a 15 minute break from them. So you just, you, you go and then discuss with your tutor. So you come out of the room, you go discuss with your tutor, what you think is going on, what examinations you want to do or any kind of like special tests or um, like whether you need to take blood pressure or anything like that. And then you have to come up with like three differential diagnosis, not necessarily three, but you have to come up with a couple of what you think is going on. And then go back into the room, do all the examinations that you need to do on the patient and then go into treating them if you kind of rule in or out something that's, that you found through that. So it's a long process. It's terrifying. I think I'm OK with the patient bit. I think I'm quite a people person, so I tend to get on with the patients well. I can chat with them. I can kind of get all the information I need. It's then that bit that you have to go out and speak to your tutor and be like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um but especially in that first week where you're like oh it could be anything <laughs> so can you diagnose um, so we can't we we kind of tend to come up with working diagnosis so we can't diagnose anything that's like a systemic thing so like if if we suspect things like diabetes or if we suspect it's like a cardiovascular thing we tend to refer on to gps mm. um but if it's like msk or like muscular related um we can come up with like a working diagnosis of that. So sometimes if, it, if it's something that we think may need imaging, we can refer on to that. Whereas if we think they've got like a muscle strain, we can obviously tell them that's what we think it is. So they're always working diagnoses. Um, but yeah, we wouldn't necessarily say to them, we think you've got diabetic neuropathy or something like that, you need to go to the yeah. hospital. So we would just say, what we that we would refer on so we kind of yeah don't want to scare the patients <laughs> and would it be so this is me just thinking of like previous roles I've done would you yeah. actually contact their GP and do that as a as an actual referral or is it more informal and you would just recommend to the patient like I, I recommend you go and see your GP um so when yeah we, we can if we get we get like permission from the patient and we can actually send a referral letter to the GP and say they've come in with this this and this we found this we suspect this can you refer on for imaging or do testing blood tests things like that um, so we can refer direct will you always be private as in you can't see an osteopath on the NHS is that right um I think I think it used to be like that I think it is changing and there are some that link with NHS um but I think the majority is private yeah so we don't necessarily have access to their medical records when patients come in um so obviously we always ask about like medications and things like that and what they're taking and we we can then obviously go away and do our own research into how they're interacting with with what um what they're taking because you get some people that are on like seven different medications and you're like how are they all linking <laughs> Oh, God. Um, yeah seven's not even seven <clears throat> standard I think I take seven yeah today. I've had, <laughs> had patients who literally uh, it's like they've just brought the book the, the BNF with them like the British yeah. you know like the, the medicine book yeah, yeah. 500 ridiculous amounts of I'm just thinking why has nobody reviewed this like why are you taking yeah. all of this surely you can't need all of this <laughs> well yeah I mean I had a I had a patient <clears throat> before Christmas that was um and I asked if they were on any medication, they said no. And then as we kind of were going on through through the consultation and I was um, like asking some systemic questions and things like that. And it turned out that through all of those, they were like, oh, well, I'm taking this for that. And, and at the end of it, I had like a list of seven or eight medications after I'd asked if there were on any medications. Yeah. And um, 
they were I mean they were quite drowsy and then obviously you've got that that as in like I, I wasn't too sure if they were even understanding me and then you've got the whole thing of like consent and do they know what they're mm-hmm. like doing or telling me and um oh yeah I'm just like does the GP need to review this like how like is this a common thing that they're just Mm. (laughs) it was yeah it's quite scary I haven't really had a patient like that before but um yeah it's a it's a minefield but yeah I'm constantly on the BNF (laughs) trying to how does this interact with this and what are they taking this for and yeah so it's um and people don't yeah so they don't know no. what they're taking and they don't know what it's for. I used to assess people mm. for their disability benefits. And one of the questions is obviously like, tell me all your medication, your doses, the frequency and whatnot. And especially when drugs have like multiple uses. So you could be on mm. for pain or as an antidepressant and they just wouldn't have yeah. to Or it's not until you ask about the medication that they say, oh, I'm on that as an antidepressant, but they never told you they have depression. And it's, yeah. especially when they're chronic, people just yeah. live like that for such a long time or they've been on this medication for years they just forget about them they just do you know what I mean it's so embedded in their body they just forget absolutely and that that always like stumbles me as well because you're like if they say if they haven't said about their mental health or that they're taking it for depression you're like well are they taking it for pain or are they taking it for depression like you say we come across loads of those like that there's so many medications that have so many random uses yeah so um yeah it's a minefield but um yeah the patient side of it I really enjoy and you get those like good and bad days where you could have a patient where you feel like you haven't done your best and I know that on a couple of stuff you've done about give give the world the best of you not what's left left of you Mm. and um yeah, there's been a couple of days where I've just been like, oh, I really don't think I did my best with that patient. But then the next week they come in again and they're like, they're fine. And they're like, oh, like they kind of boost you up. But I think it's because I'm quite hard on myself. Um, and I always think I don't know anything. I don't know anything. But and I know people are like, you probably do know more than you think, you know. But th- at that time, you kind of like, I don't know anything. And then you have to gather yourself together after that patient to then go and see another patient. And it's, yeah. It's difficult, but that yeah, that three week, two week block between third and fourth year is the terrifying one, <laughs> and then um, and then in in your fourth year you actually, so I cut down a day at work and you spend a day um, every Monday in clinic, oh. so I cut down to four days at work, um, and then yeah, so I was in London every Monday, working in the clinic for about six months until covid hit (laughs) so then um yeah covid hit we missed the last so that was obviously the clinic shut in march last year um and then it reopened and we did another two weeks summer block in july um and then yeah started our final year in september we were in the clinic for about four four weeks or so and then there's an apartment building and garages underneath where our clinic is in Southwark and um it had a fire which affected our clinic so I was like you know just one more thing that 2020 can throw at us so the clinic shut um for another six weeks that was another six weeks where we felt like we were kind of losing out on our experience and our kind of clinic time mm. um, and to be fair the uni did quite a good job they managed to turn our actual teaching building which is kind of a, a street over they turned that into the clinic um, which it used to be like years and years ago so they've, they've kind of revamped it all and then we're so we, we opened there six weeks after that and then yeah I've been there been there since but it's been a lot and I think a lot of us feel like we're not really ready to go out into the real world, given how much time we've missed. Um, but yeah. So when are you going to be so, released into into the wild? <laughs> into the wild. Um, so I think our last clinic day is the eighteenth of June. Um, and then, yeah. So we'll we'll see from there. But because of COVID, they've also cancelled all our clinical exams. 
which I guess is a bonus, <laughs> not complaining. <laughs> um, but it means that every week we're in, it's like an ongoing tutor feedback. Um, so we get like a report at the end of each term, which is telling us how we've done. Mm. So I, in a way, I mean, it's, it's great we don't have to do exams because the pressure of doing those one day clinical exams is just, yeah, yeah, so much. But now it feels like every week, you're being watched (laughs) like you're constantly being watched for feedback and um if you're doing something right but I I think they've said that in a good way if you're having a bad day and the week before you've shown them how to do like a neurological exam or something and then the next week you fluff it up it's all right because you I guess you've, you've shown them that you can already do it the week before so you don't get negatively marked for having an off day sort of thing um, whereas if you had an off day on your actual clinic exam that would be like your final mark wouldn't it so I guess in a way it's better um but yeah I think so we've had our first well we've had the first report submitted we're waiting for the results back on that yet <laughs> but um it's just such a huge chunk of your life isn't it I mean five yeah. weeks is just insane it's yeah yeah you've got everything else going on as well as just chuck a global pandemic into the mix, <laughs> set, set your building on fire where you work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't set the building on fire for that. Um, yeah. No, you get that one in there. It wasn't me. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was like, what else can they throw at us? Um, oh. And obviously, like working in all the PPE and hand washing and stuff like that like my hands are red are constantly red raw after clinic days yeah but um obviously I can't really complain because I know that you guys in the NHS and stuff have got it much worse and um but you can still have I think it's hands <laughs> yes I can <laughs> yeah so I think it's that um yeah balancing everything um uni work and because I'm in like a, a senior role at work, it's um, I'm kind of number two to my boss who runs the team. So when when she's off, I have to kind of manage everything. Um, and then I've got I'm on like quite a few projects at work, so you've got all of that going on. Then your clinic stuff, plus a dissertation, plus exams, plus coursework, plus yeah being at home on your own all the time which is just boring (laughs) I think in the first lockdown it was it was much better my partner Tom was furloughed in the first um the first wave kind of that gorgeous weather March to May time um so he was at home all the time even though I was working at home so it was still like we had that I saw him all the time and we would be quite we were quite active we were doing like the couch to 5k um and doing things like zumba classes and stuff like that which I don't think I'd ever get him to join now or admit admit so <laughs> but it did happen um yeah so we were quite active and stuff and then um it went back to he then I think his business, um, he got made redundant from it. The business shut down that he worked for before, which I guess in a way for him was a blessing in disguise because two weeks later he got this new job of working outside with and like doing tree surgery and um, and all the garden work, which he absolutely loves now. So in, for him, it was a blessing in disguise, but now he's at work every day and I'm still working at home every day and it just gets to like, it's been like what over a year now since we've been at home and yeah it's tough I don't think he I, I say it to him all the time I don't think he quite understands it because he's still going out and seeing people and yeah I'm like sat here on my own and seeing people through a screen and he gets home and I, he, I think he gauges whether I've had a good day or bad day as to how happy I am to see him when he gets home it is hard though it's like although obviously the hospital has been dire and it's been horrendous I think mm. most nurses and healthcare professionals we've all at some point said but how lucky are we that one we're in a secure job so we haven't had that fear of losing our our job and our income and 
we get to see multiple people all day every day like so if anything it feels like I found it difficult that I'm sat in an office with 12 people I'm walking around the hospital I'm doing I'm still doing face-to-face training and then I come home and I'm not allowed to see my family I'm not allowed to yeah it's it's bizarre it's weird but Mm. I do feel really lucky that I've not had that because I have worked at home before and it is very, very isolating. And that's where my depression started, to be honest, back in 2017. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. And like you say, it's not the same seeing somebody through Zoom. So no. I know before we started recording, um, you mentioned kind of briefly about your mental health. How have you been the last year? How have you been feeling? Um. I think I get I get really bad anxiety um and even before Covid I think it was in that gap between where I was saying about the third year and fourth year where we had to go and do that two weeks on my blog Okay, sorry listeners, we've had some technical issues and we were just giggling because um, Sophie's face froze and she was, had a bit cheesy grin, it was really funny. Um, yeah. Well, you know, this happens, this is life, we have technical difficulties. So, it always happens as well when we're just getting onto something really serious about mental health. Um, <laughs> a technical issue, like I was recording with, um, I don't know if you listened to the one with... Um, Chris, the physio, mm. South African Siri comes on just as we're talking about suicide. <laughs> and it's like, what <laughs> happened at this time? Oh, God. Sorry. So let's start again. So, clinic, anxiety, that's where we were at. But you'd had. That's where we were at. Yeah, you were suffering anxiety pre, um, like pre pandemic and whatnot. Yeah, so um, I was saying that you kind of have this expectation of, I think everybody sees me as quite studious and can do really well at jobs or could, like it is quite academic and revises a lot and everyone like looks to me for some answers and it's it's a lot of pressure when you, you're in your head, you're kind of thinking, oh, but I don't know anything. Um, and... I was saying that when I had that um, at the end of my third year, when I was waiting for my results in the summer, my anxiety got so bad. I didn't even want to open my results. I think I waited the full day before I opened them because I I didn't want to see the results because I felt like I hadn't done as well as what people will thought I would have done or should have done. Um, And then obviously you open them and it's fine. But and then Tom's like, see, I told you. And, And you but you're like, I can't. I can't look at them I don't want to look at them um and I just have this massive I mean I've probably always had it this massive thing where I don't want to fail mm. um and like you feel like you're letting people down but really I guess it's just you're not letting other people down it's yourself but so it all kind of started then when I knew I was going into clinic and it was going to be like oh god I'm actually treating patients now mm. like it's up to me to help them get better um and then it was around that time as well where, so I hadn't actually told my work that I was doing this degree for the first three years because it didn't affect my work because I was still working full time yeah. Monday to Friday and doing this at weekends. And then obviously I had to tell them because I had to drop a day of work and go into clinic. So there was like massive I think it started then a little bit where I had this like big chip on my shoulder where I had to tell them and I was terrified to have that conversation with them um but so I think it kind of started then and then yeah and then we went into into COVID time and I think I wasn't too bothered or like impacted at the start of COVID I didn't think that um 
it really affected me or I was like oh I'm kind of young and healthy like it'll be fine um, and I didn't know anybody around me that had had it so I was a bit not naive but was just a bit like oh this, I think like everybody we kind of all thought this will be a few weeks and then we'll be back to normal um but we weren't and then we got told we were working from home so I was like okay and at the time me and Tom had moved it we were living with my parents uh, my mum and my stepdad because we were saving for a house um and I think we were meant to be there for about a few months and it turned into a year because <laughs> obviously you know COVID. <laughs> um so I was quite lucky and I was working from home but so was my mum and my stepdad and we lived in the middle of the countryside and we've got like dogs and cats so I think they were quite um a big part of my coping mechanisms like the dog the animals the pets um and just like going for walks and there's like a cow farm up the road from my mum's house so you go up to walk there and see all the cows and like it's just the, like being outside yeah. really helped and I I'm re I'm really good at keeping things in <laughs> um so when I was feeling low or feeling um anxious I kind of kept it all to myself and then lashed out and would have like bickering with my mum or like with Tom um and I found it really hard to talk about it mainly because I didn't think that they would maybe not understand or think it was like a real thing I don't know yeah like people say they're anxious for stuff but it's there's obviously loads of different levels of that you can be like anxious to do an exam is kind of like a normal anxious I would say but then it runs deeper um and then I think it was when Tom went back to work um and I was seeing him less and because he was at work I was there we were then obviously doing less activity because I wouldn't my, my mum and Pete kind of tend to stay at home anyway but I wouldn't um go out for a run as much or things like that so I started to kind of lose motivation in activity wise um and then it was getting to a really stressful time at uni and I just thought am I going to finish this am I going to even pass um am I going to be any good um, and then I guess it was kind of okay in that summertime, but as it's gone into this next lot of lock, winter lockdown, I think that's when it really started to hit. And there'd be days where I'd just get home from clinic on a, and Tom would pick me up from the train station. And literally, I think as soon as I got in the car, I would just cry. And he would even kind of like look across from me, obviously he's driving, but, and he would always just reach his hand out and like hold my hand. And sometimes he'd like be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And sometimes I could talk about it. And sometimes I was just like, no, I just want to cry. <laughs> just let me cry. And you can't always even explain it. Like it could be the tiniest thing. Um, I think, I think because it's hard to explain. And sometimes you don't know why you're feeling low as well. So sometimes there's not even a reason. It's hard to get it out. And yeah. I remember a couple of weeks ago, um, me and Tom had this full well I think I ended up not having a breakdown but we had a full-blown argument because he wanted two sandwiches instead of one and I was just like you're eating all the food and like it wasn't obviously that that I was angry about I think I was more than like conscious of um I was really stressed at work really tired of being on my own every day at home mm. um and we were arguing about that and then I just I, I stormed off I was like I can't do this anymore um and yeah I just had like a full-on like sob and he then he came up and he gave me a hug and then we talked it out and I think that was the first time that I'd actually spoke openly not openly with him because I've spoken I've spoken about things with him before but as in kind of literally said everything that was on my mind with uni and feeling like I'm going to fail and then work stress and also my weight because that's a big thing that always plays on my mind um but he, he's known that for ages that he, and he hates it. So to the point where it even makes him cry if he probably hates me saying that, sorry. <laughs> but 
but to the point where it will make him cry because he hates how it makes me feel when I get upset about my weight yeah. um and is that being like it's the fluctuating because he's like I mean I think we've all had it in this lockdown that you've, you've been high and low and and then you're like oh spend your whole life in joggers and jumpers and you're like how am I going to get into the real world again with like no clothes that fit me <laughs> exactly I think I've put two stone on I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my entire life I'm a size 16 now I've gone from like a size 12 I can't get any of my clothes on. I'm just buying size 16 loungewear and literally just living tracky bottoms and jumpers. And I don't feel bad about it. I mean, I used to, like years ago, Mm. ago, I'd really beat myself up. And like what you're describing, like I'd I'd cry, I'd be so upset and I'd have all this shame and I'd be so cruel to myself and just be like, you fucking fat pig, like you are disgusting. Like why have you just eat? just eating everything and just so mindlessly mm. like it's disgusting and I'd I'd be so awful to myself but and this really helped me and this is like a CBT thing and this you and me are a good one to do it on would you talk like that to me so I've just no. told you I've taken two stone and I'm a size 16 what do you would you say any of that to me would you call me disgusting or fat or ugly or time to get a grip or I need to lose weight or put me on a diet no I'd be like you don't know you look great it's fine <laughs> like you'd say all those happy things and yeah I totally understand it's, it's, I'm like that as well it's hard when it's, it's hard when it's yourself yeah you have to I'd highly recommend I'll send you the link I always put this link in my show notes anyway to the CBT website and it really does get you to change your way of thinking and although yes I, I need to lose weight because I'm starting IVF soon but it it just changes you the way you think but but it is hard work and I still will be awful to myself and then have to say you wouldn't speak like that to Kirsty you wouldn't speak like that to Jenny or I have to like list my friends in my head and Mm. say like I would never say that to them I would still think they were beautiful it it, it's not going to say on our gravestone when Sophie was how old are you now 29 when Sophie was 29 she gained a stone but then she lost it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. Honestly, it is so. Yeah. In the and it's just kind of happened to having all these little techniques to help. But I still, I still can. I know how hard it is, and I think everything in this world is, is created for women to hate themselves and to hate their body yeah. and to think that we have to look a certain way and be a certain way be a certain dress size but then everything else around us is there to make us want to eat all this high calorie food (laughs) (laughs) god damn you cakes (laughs) yeah i just sat and had like a homemade lotus biscoff latte and biscuits for breakfast (laughs) i loved it it was worth every calorie yeah yeah no i totally understand and like you say i wouldn't say those things to someone else but it's it is i think it's that almost like the oh god we've been at home for a year we're gonna have to go back to the office at some point and we're not gonna have I'm gonna like you say gain two stone and all this stuff but um yeah so that always like played on my mind and then there'd be like little comments that people would say like um because similarly I know you're doing the IVF stuff and you've talked a lot about that but Tom and I in the next year or so or whatever we'll go on into start family as well and it's it's those little things where you're like, oh God, am I going to be too overweight? Do I need to lose weight before I get pregnant and things like that? And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, I need to lose weight before I put weight on to be pregnant. Yeah, that's literally, that's where my yeah. mindset's at now. I'm thinking like, oh God, why have I put all this weight on? And I just instantly again have to stop, snap myself out of it and just go, can't change the past. I've done it. Like going forward, you know, need to plan and, and just baby steps yeah but it's hard because you do like as a woman I'm not far ahead yeah yeah I think my friend said to me the other day she was saying um she was like because I I was talking to her about my weight because I remember when when we were both single that's the other thing I always say to Tom like you made me fat (laughs) it's the love I say it in a jokey way it's the love yeah (laughs) um when we were both single um before I met Tom 
um we would go me and my friend would go to the gym like five days a week we were the smallest we've been and and then even back then you're like but I thought I was fat back then <laughs> and I was like four sizes smaller than I am now well, um so I say to Tom all the time like well you know I met you and it's all gone downhill from there. yeah so I think a lot of that played on so I think it was everything I think it was that it was work stress and like constantly being expected to perform um and then the uni stuff as well like some of the tutors I mean I'm doing my dissertation on um the stress and mental well-being of part-time students at my uni so I've been like similarly doing interviews with previous students that did it through the part-time pathway and a lot of the themes that are coming out so far are just like really similar to what I'm current like I'm still seeing and it's amazing how things just haven't changed um so like some of the tutors I know they're supposed to be there to be and it's not all of them but some of them are just it's like a power play and being in the student clinic is like their area to be certain and like powerful whereas I bet in their clinic space there's a lot of uncertainty around what they do like it's our whole job is uncertainty um so when they're, tu- when they're tutoring us there's a lot of they can just like really tear you down and like absolutely shred your confidence if you're having like one off day or if if you take up the courage to ask them oh can we have some feedback about this and sometimes they're just like oh like do we have to do it now and it's like it takes a lot to ask for that feedback and for them to then just be like oh yeah um so a lot of the the stuff that's coming out is that a lot of the stress is related to the tutors and it, it the tutors rotate so it depends who you get but sometimes you've got this fear of like oh, I don't want to go and speak to that tutor but that's the tutor I've got today and it's just yeah it's just an added pressure on and um and then when you get a tutor that is really supportive it just changes your whole mindset completely and then you come back and you've had made like most amazing day and you'll come home and you're like I really helped this patient today and they're recommending me to their family and stuff like that so you get referrals and yeah it's just just, a lot of up and down it just confirms though how important leadership is and Mm. I know you've listened to my podcast but it's just something I bang on about because it, it does and it just comes down to like this the simple thing of kindness like there's just no yeah. reason to be unkind but I think I think that then leads to the fact that we're not very open so even as a tutor you know they're that person of kind of authority kind mm. of in that room if they were just a bit more open and said Right, guys, um, you know, having a bit of a day, just bear with me. I, I might not get yeah. your feedback today, but please, you know, please just come and ask me. Do you know what I mean? Just even that I'm not having a great day. People don't have to divulge their intimate life details, yeah. but just by that openness that it's okay to say that you're having an off day or a bad day, even as somebody in leadership or education it then makes them more approachable for you to open up and say you're having a bad day and it yeah. gets those conversations going but it's hard to be the first person like if you're if you're in that environment it's hard for you, for you to be the one because that hierarchy is there with your educator mm. you probably don't feel comfortable or confident enough to say to them I'm having a bad day or I'm struggling or I'm feeling really anxious do you know what I mean it's it's the dynamics isn't it yeah yeah and there's um there's a lot of I think we feel it as well because we are a lot of the people on the part-time pathway are mature students Mm. so they're already like grown adults anyway they've they've got life experiences so a lot of the times like our tutors are either the same age as not necessarily me but the same age as a lot of people on my course um and it's like yeah you don't you don't need to speak to somebody like that we're all adults like (laughs) just and it'd be be good sometimes as well if you're struggling with like a diagnosis or something and some tutors are so particular about what you write down on the notes and how you write it and one somebody would say it's definitely this and somebody will say 
oh, I don't like that diagnosis. And it's hard to like cater to each tutor. Um, but then there's just the, if they were willing to say, well, you know what, I, I don't know. Should we like discuss it together and like do a bit of research together? Or if they just told us that sometimes they don't know the answer either, I think it would make us all feel a lot better yeah, and definitely reduce our stress levels. There's no way they have all the answers. No, but nobody does for anything. I've been a nurse for a decade. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, like you're, we're always learning. In life, we're always mm. learning. So, yeah. And again, it is. It's just that power play and hierarchy and communication and, and all of that. I mean, there's, there's some things I know we're coming close to our hour, which it doesn't matter anyway, because I'll, I'll keep going, but... <laughs> just wanted to talk to you about because when you mentioned kind of like snapping at Tom and being like irritable with your mum and bickering and stuff like that and you've mentioned that you'll bottle things up do you still do that or you have you got any coping mechanisms or have you started to learn to do you journal are you do you try and be a bit more open because it just it felt like I was listening to myself from a few years ago because that is what I would do I would just bottle 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 then lose my head over Sam not washing up his plate or yeah. and it just and then I'd burst out crying massively overreact to something but then when I actually stripped it all back it was like oh my god so much has happened this year I'm so overwhelmed but rather than at, at each of those individual events or situations saying this really upset me or this made me feel really shit about myself or I feel like that or like rather than having those mini conversations it mm. all like like exploded yeah. <laughs> how are you what I mean you might not be managing it you might just kind of have that blow up and be back to bottling things up I don't know how how are you feeling more recently what's what's been going on um I think maybe a little bit of both I think a lot of the stuff like I am getting a bit better at just saying to Tom you know what I've had a bad day today or things like that um I tend to when it comes to like work related stuff I tend to bottle not bottle that up but I don't necessarily I'm not very good at talking to like my boss about it or um work stuff um but the, and I, I think I find, I know like my friends are great and I absolutely love them. But they've all got stuff going on as well. And you feel like sometimes you don't want to burden. And I've said it to them before. I've been like, guys, I've, I've like held this in. And, and, and they always say like, don't be silly. Like, let us know what's going on, all this stuff. So I think I do need to get a bit better about that. Um, yeah, because another question, and I'll keep doing this to you. Do, do you feel like they're a burden when they tell you what's going on in their life? No. <laughs> yeah. No. That's exactly. Friends are there to be burdened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one another, yeah. give and take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no, I definitely don't. And I think we're all very um very supportive of each other. And we'll come like as soon as somebody says that they've had it all like if they message in the group chat about something, we're all like completely on it and try and make them feel better and and they do that to me as well when I do eventually, <laughs> eventually tell them. Um, but it's, yeah, it's getting it out. They've all got a lot. I mean, one of them is just leaving house. One of them is about to give birth to twins in the next week or so. Um, so it's, one of them hasn't seen a lot her boyfriend for like months because he lives up in Yorkshire and she's down here and obviously lockdown. So there's like all these things and it's like, oh, I feel like mine isn't maybe. Oh, it's not that big of a deal so I'll just keep it in <laughs> that's how I tend to but no I have been getting better um talking to people and obviously your lovely journal that you sent me in my lovely winning hamper <laughs> I've been using that yeah um I think the thing that helps me which I've started to do now is when you go to sleep and everything's rushing through your mind and Tom's already snoring is that's when everything comes to my mind like Oh, I need to research this. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to speak to them about this. Oh, I need to do that. So I've started making lists. Like I'll be like almost drifting off, and then I'll be like, nope. And I'll just like make a list of something, um, of things I need to do the next day or things that are on my mind. And it it literally it's like a brain brain dump. It gets it out. 
I think the the one that I think I struggle well struggle with talking with anyone else about is the weight one. But um, then I say things like, "Tom, we're going to be really good this week from now on," which I've said after Easter. <laughs> I was like, "We're going to be back on it. We're going to do all this stuff." But I mean, he's fine. He's up working, climbing trees every day. He's really active all the time. But really, it's for me. But I'm just like, so you can come with me. Um, just as that motivation to get me out. But I think my coping mechanisms at the minute have been using that journal, um, having a bath and putting your podcast on. <laughs> my sister got me a lovely, um, you know, the wooden bath. Um, oh, yeah which I haven't had for it I haven't had yet so she got me one for my birthday last week um so I can use that and put put my put my drink on it and put my phone on it and my iPad or something um yeah I've really taken to baths and um there's a magazine called Breeze I don't know if you've heard of it it's about like well-being and mindfulness um amazing I put it the other week yeah it's called Breeze um and I started reading that, which it's got some really nice, nice articles in and the, the, the prints and the pictures in it are amazing. I'm probably going to cut them all out and frame them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I need to get better at letting go of things that don't matter. I think, like you say, you, 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 tick, you get irritated at the tiny things when really that's not what you're irritated at. <laughs> so it's trying not to get irritated at those things and like you say just speak about things as and when they're happening yeah. um and to everyone like you'll be surprised that yeah people you think aren't very approachable <clears throat> or you're a bit like oh, I don't know if this is appropriate or if I'm going to feel like an idiot if I say this to my manager or if I say this to a colleague but they might be sat there thinking the exact same thing you are and just not having mm that confidence or you know that ability to say I'm having a really bad day today Sophie look just yeah and sometimes it's just taking that first step with somebody and just saying I'm finding I'm finding working from home really isolating I feel really lonely or just because I guarantee they'll probably be like oh my god me yeah me too I'm glad you said that I've been really down like yeah and then it might even be that they're the person who they're like, right, every lunch break we'll Zoom and we'll both go for a walk. Mm. Walking with people, do you know what I mean? Just just anything that you might end up finding to be really helpful or even just having that conversation will be helpful. But yeah. It's, it's, it's like everything, isn't it? It's easier said than done. It is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think it's that, like you say, it's the unexpected or what you think people expect of you they probably actually don't as well like expect you to have it all together all the time when really they're probably like oh it's fine I'm also feeling like that like you said yeah yeah definitely I've I've noticed as well and again this is because I used to be be really similar with some of the language you've used you've used a lot of like parent adult language like about expectations and failure and should and shouldn't and, and words like that and you can definitely tell that you've got all like it's like the weight of the world on you that you've got all this pressure and all these expectations and um have you heard of elizabeth day how to fail no you no. have to get her <clears throat> and you have right to her podcast i'll link to it in my show notes as well because she has changed my life she is absolutely amazing and she has taught me that nothing in life is a failure. Nothing. Do you know when people say that you can't quit, you can't give up? Yes, you can. If it is not bringing you joy, if you are not happy, if it isn't for you, quit. Just stop. Do something else. Like life is too short to finish a degree or, or go somewhere or do something that isn't making you happy because of other yeah. people's expectations which probably aren't even they don't exist <laughs> <laughs> don't have absolutely yeah it's just yeah, it's, uh... she's amazing I think you'll get a lot out of listening to um Elizabeth Day and she does an amazing podcast with Mo Gorda 
and I've got his book actually is it next to me yeah Mo Gordat Solve for Happy <laughs> um, it, it, I've just showed Sophie the book on Zoom by the way everyone but it's absolutely amazing his episode and he talks about an algorithm for happiness and he actually calls his brain a name and I found that really helpful as well so I call my brain Tiff after a bully in primary school so every time I'm being <laughs> myself so if I'm being nasty to myself in my head like, like I said, weight related, if, which I still do it now, like shaming myself, you're disgusting, why have you just said all of that? Like all these awful things. I'll just be like, no, Tiff, shut up. I'm hungry. I wanted that pizza. I'll start again tomorrow. Like, don't be cruel to me. It, you know, do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll have a go at Tiff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And it> sounds- <laughs> God damn you, Tiff. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> And it sounds, but it's so helpful. And it's all these little yeah. tips and tricks that I've picked up over the last few years. Like all the self-help I've done and all the podcasts and the books, but it just makes such a big difference. I think you'll really get a lot from that episode. So I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll have a listen. We, um, anything to help at the moment. We've just, we bought a house this week. So <laughs> we're preparing for the stress of that as well. So I'm hoping that, you know, we'll finish uni, get the house, calm. Congratulations, <gasps> <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. We, um, exciting, but exciting, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's terrifying a little bit. Um, you're like, oh God, what have I done? I spent all this money. Um, yeah, it's about time. We, uh, we tried to buy or we put an offer in on a house last March and then obviously COVID happened and everything fell through but yeah we'll see hopefully this one goes ahead so <laughs> since recording this episode Sophie has had a self-revelation she calls it and has realized that the anxiety she had were actually amplified around the same time she lost somebody close to her suddenly the feeling she expressed of not wanting to let people down and I hope they are proud of me came on increasingly from that point. In her third year of study this happened. Coming to this realisation has since helped her cope with these anxieties and she informs me that she is able to open up much more now to her partner and family. She just wanted to add some feedback to listeners that she has really enjoyed doing this podcast and listening back to it as well as other episodes it's enabled her to reflect and she really hopes that her episode can help others too. Thank you so much to Sophie for coming on and thank you so much to my lovely listeners. Please remember, if you haven't already, to subscribe, rate and review. It does make a massive difference. And check out the show notes. There's lots of helplines and websites to utilise if you, a colleague or a loved one, need some support at the moment. And if you don't already, remember to follow me on Instagram at The Mad Moon Podcast, Twitter at The Mad Moon Pod, or you can get in touch via email, themadmoonpodcast at gmail.com. Stay safe, everybody, and I'll see you next week when I speak to another lovely guest.